And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. Good morning. Welcome to Sandy Creek Stirring. I genuinely hope that you are enjoying the content and enjoying what we're talking about and truly just looking forward to the um, next episodes coming up. And I tell you what, I'm looking forward to some episodes we have coming up, especially tomorrow's episode on Friday. I'm looking forward to that. We are going to start a little mini-series on Friday for just two or three weeks on, well, I'm not going to tell you what they're on. You're going to have to check back tomorrow and find out what they're on, so kind of leave you hanging on the cliff a little bit. But, of course, today, being Thursday, is Baptist history. You know, Baptist history is truly something that changed my life. And as I began to study it out, you know, it really arose when I asked that question, are Baptist Protestants? And I began to study that out, and I realized, you know, I don't really know. I need to go back, and I need to truly study for myself if Baptist or Protestant or not. And so I began to study that out and began to look at different things and truly answer that question. And I tell you what, the sacrifices that our Baptist forefathers, hey, and women included, that they made, the sacrifices they made their very lives, in fact, wow. It makes me ashamed because, you know, so many times in our life we're like, you know, I uh, well, things are so hard, and, and things are so tough, and, and I know I can't make it to church tonight, but, uh, you know, and they gave their very lives, burned to death, whipped to death. I mean, incredible what they went through. You get a hold of that, it can do something in your heart. It can truly make a difference. So let's go ahead and jump into our content for today on Baptist history. We've talked the past few weeks over who started the church. We talked about how the apostles planted the churches. We talked about um, the two things that Paul said would happen. They would be persecuted and that men would arise in the church who appeared godly but denied the power thereof. And of course, these men attacked in five major ways. They attacked the, the soul authority as Scripture. They attacked salvation by faith through grace, not works. They attacked... Um, they attacked baptism by immersion. They attacked the independence of the local church. They attacked, attacked the free will of man, which, of course, correlates with the freedom of religion. And we talked about how they made their way in an uh, uh, area that became a hotbed for these teachings was Rome. And remember, Emperor Constantine in 312 re received that vision. And, of course, all of Rome turned to what was known as a Christian empire at that time because of well, Emperor Constantine claiming Christianity. He declared freedom of religion for all. But as we learned, it really wasn't freedom of religion. It was only freedom if you adhered to his laws of Christianity. Can I just tell you something? That's not freedom at all. And so, of course, through the passing of time, the Roman Catholic Church came about, and they were the imperial church of the Roman Empire starting really in 380, 381. And so I want to take you back. Let's get in a time machine, and we'll go back to being little kids, and we'll use our imagination. Hey, I love using my imagination. It's phenomenal. It's great. 
God gave us an imagination, so let's use it. So I want you to imagine you get in a time machine with me, and here we go. We've dialed in the date, and we are going back to the Roman Empire in the 4th century. And as we arrive, we come into a little church, a little church just like mine, just like Victory Springs Independent Baptist Church. And we come in here, and they're kind of in a conundrum. What are they going to do? You see, Christianity is now the official religion of the Roman Empire. And as we go around the streets and we talk to people, they say, Hey, who, who are you? You know, you look new here. And yeah, I am new here. And my name's da da da. What's your name? And we share back and forth. Well, what do you do for a living? Well, I do this. And, and what do you do in your free time? Well, I'm a Christian. And the other person looks at you. You've never met them before. And they say, Wow, that's phenomenal. I'm a Christian too because, you know, we are all Christians. You know, Rome is a Christian empire. We're all Christians. And these people in this church begin to realize, wait a second, we're not all Christians. And can I tell you, that still applies today. We are not all Christians. We're not all Christians. And so they began to run into this conundrum. I don't want to be associated with the Christianity that the Roman Catholics claim. Because here's the deal. I believe in salvation by grace through faith. I don't believe in infant baptism. I don't believe in a state-run church. I don't believe in persecuting those who disagree with me on matters of religion. God gave them a free will. I don't believe we should persecute them. And here's the reality. Under the name of Christianity, some of these Catholic church fathers in the Roman Empire began to persecute and kill people. And here we are, this early church, me and you sitting here, have come in with our time machine, and uh, we're sitting here, and they're in a conundrum because they don't want to be associated with that type of Christianity. They don't want to be associated with that. It's not right. It's not biblical. It's not what God would have them to be. And so one man stands up, you know, I, I can't be associated with that. That's not right. And, and so what do they do? What name do they call themselves? Now, some would immediately jump up and say, you know, that's just wrong. They should have fought for the name Christian. They should have stood there, and they should have fought for it. They should have just taken it and, and you know, waved the banner high. Well, here's the deal. To those people who have that opinion, I would pose this question. Do you have a rainbow flag hanging out in your front yard? And they say, well, what do you mean? Well, it's a, it's a symbol of God. Are you fighting for it? Do you have rainbow bumper stickers on the back of your car? No, of course you don't. Of course you don't, because the world has taken it and polluted it. They have polluted it. They have made it profane. Same word you find in Ezekiel. They have profaned God's holy things. So, as far as fighting for the Christian name, the world had polluted it by this point. It didn't mean what it used to mean. And by the way, second point on that, who gave the name Christian to the churches? Who gave the name Christian to the churches? Well, it wasn't God. The world gave the name Christian to the churches. And by the way, I don't think there's anything wrong with Christian. I love the name Christian. Hey, for the world to look at somebody and say, hey, you are a little Christ— you live like Christ. You are a little Christ. You are a Christian. That is one of the biggest compliments you can ever receive. So no, I'm not against the name Christian, but the reality was God didn't give them that name. The world gave them that name. But there they are. They're sitting there in a Christian church. What do they call 
themselves? Well, they had to find some way to define what type of Christian they are. You need to be very careful to define what type of Christian you are. To say, I'm a Christian, I'll just be frank, and I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. Just to say I'm a Christian, well, it really isn't enough anymore. Because here's the deal, if if we were in this room, if you were in this room with me and I stood up and you put a, a Mormon, a Jehovah Witness, a Presbyterian, a Methodist, a Catholic, an Anglican, a non-denominational, and me all in the same room. Now, doctrinally, we wouldn't have a whole lot in common, but you know one thing we would have in common? We would all claim to be Christian. But let me tell you something. Truth by definition is singular. One of us has to be right. That means the others are wrong. That means one of us is a Christian and the others aren't. Okay, so have to be very careful to define what type of Christian we are. And so these this church is sitting here, and we're listening in on their conversation. What do we call ourselves? Well, we need to define ourselves by something. We need to define ourselves by something, and One man stands up in the back and he says, you know what? There's that guy. There's that guy who, oh, the the Catholics hate him. Oh, they just hate him. Remember, they put out those pamphlets. They put him in the newspaper because he's teaching heresy. But, you know, when we looked at it, it was just like we believe. It's the Bible teaching. And it's just like we believe, but the Roman Catholic Church hate him. What if we were to call ourselves... That type of Christian, that guy, we follow him as a Christian. And people begin to think, you know, that's a good idea. That is a good idea. Now hold that thought for just a minute. We're going to dive into that thought. But before we do, let me give you a couple things real quick. Number one, okay, I want you to be careful what you read on the Internet. Now hold that thought about calling ourselves followers of that guy. Hold that thought. Be careful what you read on the internet because here's what I imagine a lot of you are doing and I hope you're doing is you're doing a personal study of your own into what we're talking about in Baptist history. I hope you're doing that and uh, a lot of people I'm sure are. But I want you to be careful what you read on the internet because it's not always true. So some resources, some tools, they're not true, they're not valid. You know, there are some sources on my source list. I have a source list that I use for um, this entire study, and it's all these sources that I use. And if you'd like a copy of that, by the way, you can contact me, and I'm more than willing to send you a copy on that. But on the top of that source list, I have written, you cannot trust all the sources on this list. Why? Because some of them are false. I'm quoting them because of something they say false. Because there's a lot of untrue things out there. So be careful what you read on the internet. Make sure to compare your sources. Line them up together. Number two, I want you to notice, because we're about to get into some persecution. Notice that persecution always furthers the gospel. It doesn't hinder it in the grand scheme. You know, we know Satan's goal. He wants to eradicate God's people so he can try and prevent the spread of the gospel. He's going to do that in any way he can. But God has given his children grace to endure the persecution, to work opposite of Satan's intentions for persecution. You'll find, as we go along through the study of Baptist, and here's where we're really getting into it, you'll find that whenever a true Christian dies, a true Baptist dies, 
it always affects and touches the heart of someone else who is watching. Take, for instance, a man by the name of Stephen in the book of Acts who was watching when he stood up for his faith and died. Well, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was watching as Stephen. You'll find that as a reoccurring theme throughout the entirety of Baptist history. You'll find when a true Christian dies, it always affects and touches the heart of someone else who will spread the gospel. Persecution always furthers the gospel. It doesn't hinder it in the grand scheme. And then number three, before we jump back into our main thought, number three, the methods of persecution are always the same. The methods of persecution are always the same. Here's what, here's what they do. Number one, Satan establishes a state-run church, a centralized governmental religion. Number two, he requires that everyone within that, within and under that government adheres to and follows that church. Number three, he requires that everyone support that church financially. Number four, they confiscate the property of those who do not adhere. Number five, they physically abuse those who continue to do so whether it be by whipping, by torture, by imprisonment, and then last but not least, if all else fails, if all else fails, kill them, exterminate them, execute them, get rid of them. Persecution always works in the same fashion. So as we dive in today, let's talk about that church. Let's be followers of that guy. You see, men began to arise within the Roman Empire, and they began to hold up the Word of God, which, by the way, was getting ripped out of the hands of the common people during this time. You go study the Roman Catholic Church, and we will as we continue on. The Roman Catholic Church was passing laws that, hey, you can't understand the Bible, so just trust us to tell you what it says. In fact, we don't even want you to own a copy of God's Word. We don't want you to even have one because you'll just you'll get messed up. God's word, God's letter to you, it'll, it'll just mess you up. You can't understand it, so don't worry about it. We'll tell you. We'll tell you what it means. And there were some men who said, no, 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 that's wrong. No, we need the word of God. We need to have it in the hands of the common people. We need to be able to study for ourselves. And they began to lift the Bible high and, and hold it up and say, you know what, I'm going to believe this, and I'm going to follow the word of God. And I'm not going to follow the teachings of the priests and the, and the church fathers, the falsely so-called. I don't believe in infant baptism. Oh, boy, that was a big one to preach against. I don't believe in infant baptism. I don't believe in a state-run church. And I don't believe we should persecute those who disagree with us. And I don't believe and continue down the list. As you can imagine, the Roman Catholic Church just loved these men. Loved them. Not really. And these men were hated by the Roman Catholic Church. They would put out pamphlets about them. They would put them in the news. I mean, things were going crazy with these guys. They were hated in whatever areas they were. And so if you can imagine, you're trying to define what type of Christian you are. Well, everybody knows that guy. So why don't we just call ourselves a follower of that guy? It made logical sense. It made logical sense. Now, there's a lot of these groups that began to do that. And 
you may be coming to the question, well, why don't we just look at the Baptist? You know, it's a Baptist history study. Well, I want to remind you, remember that the denominational titles, they identify a belief system. They identify a belief system. For instance, if I pray the rosary, if I go to Mass, if I um, love the Pope, you know, just those three things alone, you would know I am a Catholic. Why? Because of my belief system. My belief system. And so what you're going to find is this belief system, all right, like those 11 core doctrines we talked about, those belief systems were already there. There have always been churches from the end of the ministry of Christ that have held to those 11 core doctrines. What you'll find is, though, that name Baptist hasn't necessarily come around yet. It hasn't come around yet. Now, as I said before, some may jump to the conclusion, well, John the Baptist, he was the first Baptist. No, that was just referring to the action that he did. He was that crazy baptizing guy. That baptizing guy out in the wilderness, John. John, John the Baptist. He's the baptizer. That's all that was referring to. But the name Baptist referring to a denominational title is about to make its way to where we will start tracing it as a name. But right now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to trace the belief system. Because that's what our name is, after all. It is our belief system. And so as these men began to arise and began to be known throughout the Roman Empire, people began to follow them. And so let's talk about some of those men. The first one we're going to talk about was a man that arose in Carthage, Africa. In 303, you'll find there was a group of people who held to Baptist doctrine in Carthage, Africa. Now, they weren't necessarily known as the man we're about to call yet. They were simply Christians, but they held to those 11 core doctrines. And so Diocletian, who was the emperor of the Roman Empire at that time, he began to persecute them. He began to kill them. He began to try and exterminate them and get rid of them. And in 311, there arose a man by the name of Bishop Alias Donatus. Bishop Alias Donatus, and so we'll simply call him Donatus. He broke off from the Roman Catholic Church when he began to do something that if you're of another denomination, it's dangerous, at least to stay in your denomination. He began to study the Bible for himself. He began to study the Bible for himself. And you know what he was looking for? He was looking for infant baptism. And he couldn't find it. It wasn't anywhere. You know why? Because it's not anywhere. You won't find it in Scripture. And so he began to look at some other doctrines and realized, you know what? I have been deceived. You see, he was a Roman Catholic bishop. He had been deceived. So he broke off from the Roman Catholic Church and began to just preach the gospel from his Catholic pulpit. And people began to get saved. They began to get baptized. I mean, God began to work great in the life and through Donatus. Donatus did something that the Catholic Church hated. He spoke in the common people's tongue. Unlike the Catholics who, during this time, they only preached in Latin. And for hundreds of years, that's all they did was preach in Latin. They didn't preach in the common people's language. They preached in Latin. And if you weren't rich, and if you didn't have an education, you know how much Latin you understood? Zero. Zilch. 
nada, nothing. You understood nothing of Latin unless you were educated and rich, and most of the common people had neither of those. You know what Donatus did? He said, no, people need to understand the preaching of the Word of God. If we're a so-called church and we're trying to relay the information to the common people, then they need to understand in their common tongue. In their common tongue. And so that's the way he began to preach. And so these people in Carthage, Africa, who held to these core 11 doctrines we've talked about, began to not only call themselves Christians, but they began to call themselves, after Donatists, they called themselves Donatists, Donatist Christians. That's what they began to call themselves. You really find they began to claim that name around 311, 350 AD, and they began to be called Donatist Christians in Carthage, Africa. They held to the 11 core doctrines, as we talked about in the core Baptist doctrines, core doctrines of the Bible, core Christian doctrines. They held to those. They believed those. And so let's go in and define some of those a little bit. They believed in opposing the state-run church. They believed a state-run church should not be here. Every man should be free to serve God as he pleases. They believed in a separated lifestyle. They believed in the Trinity and the deity of Christ. They believed in the validity and the literal translation of Scripture. They believed that every man was created with a free will. And then there were two things that they believed that got names given to them. They believed in the repentance of the lapsi. The repentance of the lapsi. Lapsi simply means those who have lapsed. You see, during this time, they were being persecuted. They were being taken to prison, and the Roman Catholic Church would capture these men and the and within the church. And by the way, it was like an underground church. They would hide. They would move their meeting places because if they were caught, they would be killed. And so when they would capture a member of one of these churches, they would tell them, you know, if you will, uh, if you'll tell us, you know, if you'll renounce our faith, and typically they did that through beating, now that you've renounced our faith, why don't we'll give you a little piece of property and we'll give you a little money if you'll just tell us who your pastor is and and you know some other information. And what they would do is some did that and they would lapse in their faith. They became known as the lapsi. And so what the Donatists believe is if you were going to come back because some of those people began to feel guilty, God would convict their heart and they would come back to the Donatist Christian churches, and they would say, you know what, we want to join. And they'd say no, because we don't know if you're just being a spy or if you're truly sorry. So here's what we want you to do. We want you to go sell off that property and get rid of that blood money you have, and then we'll know that you're truly sorry for what you did. That's a logical conclusion, I believe. Well, the Roman Catholics caught wind of that, and they began to mock the Donatist and call them the Cathari. The Cathari, which simply means the pure ones. Oh, the those those Donatists over there expect you to be pure. They want you to be like monks. They want you to be poor and broke and have no property. They're, they're so pure and they're so holy, you can't do any wrong to join their church. So they began to be mocked, called the Cathari. And then they received another name. You see, the Donatists believe that you needed to be baptized. For those who wanted to join the church, you needed to have a statement of faith, a salvation testimony, and then you needed to be baptized by immersion to join the church. It didn't matter if you had been baptized as an infant. And some people began to refer to this as re-baptism. In fact, Augustine, 
who is a Catholic Church father, opposed the Donatist and used and encouraged persecution. In fact, he said this. He said this to a bishop, a, form, a fellow bishop. He said this. He said, You are of the opinion that no one should be compelled, forced, to follow righteousness. Yet you read that the householder said to his servants, Whomsoever ye shall find, compel them to come in. I'll tell you what. He took that verse out of context. But Augustine mocked. He mocked the Donatist because he said, You are rebaptizing people. You are baptizing people twice. And here's how Donatus replied to him. He said, quote, He who accuses me of baptizing twice does not himself truly baptize once. Wow, what a statement. He who accuses me of baptizing twice does not himself truly baptize once. He was right. But you know what they began to call these, these Donatists for rebaptizing people? They began to call them a Latin phrase called Anabaptists. Anabaptists. Anna simply means re. Baptist means baptizers. They were re-baptizers. You are a bunch of re-baptizers. Bunch of re-baptizers. And they began to mock them with that name. You know, Donatists, Christians, they true Christians, they didn't like that name. Because to them, they weren't re-baptizing anybody. They were only baptizing people. They weren't Anabaptists, they were just simply Baptists. They didn't like the name, and so for many, 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 many years, they didn't accept the name Anabaptist. They didn't take it. Now, one day that's going to change. One day that's going to change, but it's not going to right now, but they were still getting called Anabaptists, a bunch of re-baptizers. And so in 355, Donatus was believed to have died in exile, but they faced much persecution. In 317, Emperor Constantine issued the death warrants for the Donatists and confiscation of their property. Yeah, Emperor Constantine, freedom of religion for all. Confiscate their property and kill them. Marcellinus of Carthage decreed in 409 that the Donatists hand over their property or die after the decree of Constantine did little to affect their growth. Three big oppositions were, of course, the government— you find Opatius and St. Augustine of Hippo. Opatius said this of the Donatists. He said this, he said, quote, Baptism makes a man a Christian. How can he be made a Christian the second time? Well, the fact is, baptism doesn't make you a Christian. Following Christ makes you a Christian. You can be saved and not be a Christian. Being a Christian is living a Christ-like life. And so they began to be persecuted, they began to be exterminated, but no matter what, here they were, the Donatists in the 4th century, holding to those core doctrines, saying, we are Donatist Christians, we follow Donatist, who follows the teachings of God's Word. That's who we want to be associated with. Hey, and I can go along with that. Makes logical sense. Now, that's the only group we're going to get to talk to today or talk about today, rather. I wish we could talk to them. That would be incredible. But it's the only one we're going to be able to talk about today, so you're going to have to come back next week, and we'll learn about a couple other groups. We'll try and fit more than one in next week's uh, lesson on Baptist history. So I hope that encouraged you. You know, there are people out in our past, out in the past of our, of our Baptist heritage, who have been fighting for your and I beliefs. They've been fighting for the beliefs that we have. Let's not fail to keep them. And you know what? You know why they were able to keep them and didn't fall? You know why? You know why it was passed down from generation to generation? Because they were stirred up 
to do something great for the cause of Christ. Stirred up to do something great for the cause of Christ. Until next time, keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ.